Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 16th episode, our guest is Ash Burgess. But before we get to that, I need to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. For you, the listeners of the Rob Burgess Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. A book I would personally recommend that pertains to this episode is Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. At nearly 20 hours long, this unabridged audiobook is narrated by Becca Bato and can be yours for free. Whatever book you pick, you can change it at any time, you can cancel at any time, and the books are yours to keep. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show for your free audiobook. Please consider supporting those who support the show like Audible. You'll be helping me out and it won't cost you a thing. Another totally free way you can help the show is to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available. Whether it's iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, TuneIn, or RSS, you can find links to everything on the official website, www.therobburgessshow.com. You can also find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Back to today's show. Ash Burgess has a dusty degree in religious studies, an obsession with pineapples, and an appetite for both high and low culture. She cuts her own hair, bakes her own sourdough bread, and spends most of her time at home with her young son. Sometimes she blogs at burgessbaby.blogspot.com. That's B-U-R-G-E-S-S B-A-B-Y dot B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show, Ash Burgess. Hi. <laughs> uh, go ahead and tell people whatever you want to them to know about you. Wow, I, I feel so put on the spot. Um, <laughs> Didn't know that I guess, yeah, so I guess I, I guess I had some idea that was coming, because you ask everyone that, but yeah. still, it's like, I'm a pretty secretive, not secretive, but I would say I'm a pretty closed person, so... For me, that's a terrifying question, but anyway, in the most general sense, I would say that I am your wife, obviously, uh-huh. as I'm sure people know, or now they know. Now they know. That's <laughs> why I'm here, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have a young toddler, so that's pretty much consumes most of my time right now, but I'm also, I have a bachelor's degree in religious studies, and... 
I'm a connoisseur of pleasures, both guilty and not. <laughs> so, and that's, I guess, what you kind of wanted to talk about is guilty pleasures. Well, yeah, I asked you what, what you wanted to talk about, and uh, you said the topic should be the, the guilty pleasures episode, so... I just like the idea of being like, this is the guilty pleasures episode. <laughs> I don't I'm know. with it, yeah. I don't know how guilty my pleasures really are, but I just well, but, I like mean, the sound of things. Maybe, how would you define the term guilty pleasures? Well, I know that we were having a disagreement about this, because when I said this should be the guilty pleasures show, you said that you don't really believe in guilty pleasures. So I think first you should explain why you don't think that's a real, why, why do you think that guilty pleasures aren't a real thing? Um, I, I don't, it's not that I don't think they're a real thing. I think they're kind of a construct that people kind of cling to that I think is kind of unnecessary. Um, I think, in, in my mind, there is just pleasure... And however you think of it, outside of that, is just really how based on how you want to be perceived in the world. So Yes, and I guess that's where my side of the argument comes in. I do think there's such a thing as a guilty pleasure. Well, how would you define a guilty pleasure then? Well, having, you know, when we were talking about this a little bit earlier, I think I finally figured out a good way to say how I would define a guilty pleasure. Okay. Um, I would say a guilty pleasure is something that maybe you like even though maybe part of you feels guilty for liking it or feels like maybe you shouldn't like it. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is not so much guilt in the sense of, I think when I was younger, I cared more about image in that I cared more about what people thought of me and I might feel like, oh, I shouldn't like this because this is not good or I should only like certain things because I'm supposedly into these things. These are what I should like. But I think I've drifted away from that some, and more, I would say, I still have certain ideas about myself and what I should like, but there are some things that I like that kind of offend those ideas. So that would be a guilty pleasure. And then also just, I do think guilty pleasure is helpful for talking about how, I think everyone has a certain way that they like to put themselves forward in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And so guilty pleasures are maybe things that you like, but they're not the things you like to lead with. Hmm. Like, they're not things that you talk about when you first meet someone, probably, you know, depending on the context. They're not something you would mention. If you've started a new job, you probably wouldn't mention this to your coworkers. Or, you know, there's something that maybe maybe your close friends know that you're into this, but it's not what you lead with when you're first introducing yourself or the persona that you most are interested in projecting when you go out into the world. I guess that the sort of private interests, the things that titillate you, those are, I think, guilty pleasures. I see. So do you think I'm being false or fake by denying the fact that I have guilty pleasures? No, I actually think that you're being probably less fake than I am, because I think that one of the things I most admire about you, probably because it's one of the ways in which I consider us to be pretty different from each other, is that you're a very, very open person. You're probably one of the most open people that I know. And and I mean that in the sense that I would say you're an open book. Like, mm-hmm. you never try to be pretentious. Like, even things that I think you could be pretentious about, you know, like, like awards that you've won... You are always just so casual. Like, you're excited, but you're just so casual. Like, you're never, like, a lot of people, whatever they accomplish, they try to spin it. So when they talk about it, they make it sound bigger. And you're always, you're very humble, and you're also just very open. Like, you consider any topic 
to be open for discussion. And I think that's a point of contention between us sometimes in that, (laughs) um, well, just in that there are things that I assume I don't need to tell you are things that I wouldn't necessarily want you to bring up. Not that they're secrets, but just I think that there are certain conversations that are appropriate for certain times or certain things that I would or wouldn't mention. Like something that I like, but that I would consider a guilty pleasure. I usually assume that you would understand that that's a guilty pleasure for me, so then you wouldn't make reference to it when we're like with other people. Uh-huh. But you don't ever think about those kind of things. Because uh-huh. to you, anything that you are interested in is okay, and there's really nothing about you that you wouldn't share with anyone. Not that I'm saying that you don't have, um, I'm not that I'm saying that you don't have tact as far as what, you know, is or isn't appropriate, but I mean, maybe to a certain degree, (laughs) no, 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 I'm, no, I'm saying that I think it's good that Mm -hmm. you're so open. Whereas I'm just such a guarded person that to me, Almost everything is secret in the sense of, I think I'm hard to get to know. And that's not, I think, always a good quality. I think there are some points in that favor, though. And I think maybe, you know, why we work as a couple is that we have certain things about us that are very different. And that's complementary. Like, I think I can help you to be more guarded in certain ways and you can help me to be more open. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good. Because, I mean, even though I think I'm a very closed person, I think I'm very hard to get to know... Of course, like most people, I still have that desire to make connections and be known by people. And I have had many people tell me that they, you know, thought I didn't like them when that's not really true. It's just that I'm not very open with people sometimes. So people maybe get the wrong impression of me. Yeah, I mean, you, you use your words very carefully and that's that's good. Um, is there a specific uh, instance that you're thinking of that, that I have said uh, made reference to a guilty pleasure of yours that that you had wished maybe I had I had not. Okay, well, I mean, this would be an example of, uh, say, once when we were visiting your parents and we were watching a movie. Um, there was a preview on for the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, and you just were like, "Oh yeah, me and Ash went to see that," and that was something that. It's not that I would have, I would have never thought to have a conversation with you when we saw that movie, like, don't tell your parents, because it's not like it was a secret that we went. At the same time, I would just assume that wouldn't be something that you would naturally share with your parents. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And that's a, I think that's a perfect example of something that a lot of people are really into Fifty Shades of Grey, and they consider that to be like a guilty pleasure and are very open about it, but they still probably wouldn't necessarily have a conversation with their parents about it. True. Honestly, I think, though, is it, is it, is it just because of the sex in the book that you, that you think it's a guilty pleasure? Well, I, think, I was just using that as an example of something that to you, me was obvious, but to you it didn't even occur to you that you wouldn't tell them that. But you consider overarchingly Fifty Shades of Grey to be a guilty pleasure, right? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, like, it's, it's I think people like it because it's like a titillating, erotic, exciting thing. That's And it's, I would say, it definitely would fall into the guilty pleasure category because it's obviously not like a piece of high literature or anything, you know? Honestly, to me, though, the part that you could be ashamed of is the poor quality of the writing more than the sex-having part, because there's so many things in culture, especially nowadays, that have explicit either mentions or views of sex that that, that really doesn't even 
register to me, honestly. Because, well, but, yeah, but yes, even poor quality of writing to me is a guilty pleasure because <laughs> I'm a person that I consider myself to be at least fairly well read as far as I've read a, I've read a lot and like a pretty good variety of both classic and contemporary books that are very you know highly regarded. You know, both, you know, in the academic community and by people that consider themselves to be very, you know, intellectual people. I've read a lot of that kind of stuff, read it, enjoyed it, some of my favorite things. But I've also read and enjoyed a fair amount of things that are... And you can hear our son in the background, but I think that's okay. Kind of providing some nice background music. It's all good. Um, but I've also read and enjoyed some things that are not as well written. Mm-hmm. And... For a long time, I struggled with that because I think, especially when I was younger, so much of my identity was tied up in the idea that I was a quote-unquote smart person, Mm -hmm. and that was the image that I wanted people to have of me, and I didn't feel like I could read and enjoy certain things that might be interesting, and then over time, I kind of let that go and stopped caring so much what people thought, and it's like... And there are plenty of people like me, I think, who enjoy both really good quality literature and also can find enjoyment in things that are maybe poorly written, but the story is just enjoyable. But don't you think that you make it clear enough in the rest of your life that that is who you are generally, that if you say here and there, oh, I like this thing that might be considered kind of low-brow culture that people know that that's not most of what you're consuming. Sure, and I guess I, I guess that's sort of what I mean when I say I've let that go over time. Like, I've realized it doesn't really matter. Like, everyone mm-hmm. has something that they're into that other people think, oh, that. You know, it's, it's like in the episode of Gilmore Girls where um, Emily Gilmore is accusing Luke of being kind of lowbrow and saying, you know, oh, of course you like baseball. Some people say it's the opiate of the masses, but me, I like ballet and other people, you know. And, of course, she's trying to put him down in that scenario, but... Everyone has their things that they find, you know, particularly interesting. And everyone, of course, has different value for what they think is interesting. Of course, they think is more valuable than what other people think is interesting. To a certain extent, I'm not saying I always think only my interests are valued. I'm just saying I think that is a generality about people. The things you place value on, you think are valuable. And the things that are not interesting to you, that other people place value on, it's easier to dismiss those things. Um, But that... As I've gotten older and cared less about what people think of me, I do think that the distinction for me between pleasures and guilty pleasures has eroded a bit because I do care a little bit less about what people think. Of course, I still have that desire to, you know, generally have people find me pleasing or whatever. But at the same time, you know, this is me. I'm only going to be alive for so long. You know, I guess I'm saying that I've embraced more guilty pleasures. Like, I used to not even read certain books because I didn't want to waste my time. But now I just figure, you know, should I deny myself the pleasure? And I've decided the answer is no. So. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair enough. Um, now, you, uh, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, trashy TV shows that are, are guilty pleasures. I guess what I mean by trashy TV shows are, you know, there are some TV shows that I think, you know, we consider them to be at a certain level of quality and value. And then there's other TV shows that are obviously not the same level of quality that I enjoy watching. And I think that's something that you have sometimes wondered what I'm getting out of some of these shows. Well, yeah, because, like, you'll, like, I'll come home and you'll be watching, I don't mean to come, be coming back to this, but 
the team mom, for example, or the Kardashians, and I just I don't I don't understand what what pleasure you're deriving from these shows. Like nothing about them seems pleasurable to me. I think it's hard to answer that question in just one concise answer. I can I can kind of come to a few answers that maybe describe some aspect of what I like, and I guess mm-hmm. take them all together. That equals me getting something out of them. Yeah. I mean, I think. One major thing for me with those is shows like that is that um, I think I've gotten more into shows like that because the shows like that relax me in a way that sometimes a really high quality show doesn't. Because and the same thing with books, um, and that's why people have you know like summer beach reading type of books. It's because sometimes you want something that you, that's just entertaining and enjoyable, but like you're not overly emotionally invested in. And I think particularly the time when I started becoming more interested in, you know, kind of more quote-unquote trashier types of TV and books was when I was having, you know, different things going on in my personal life that were very heavy. Um, Just, you know, family members being sick and dying and mental health crises and just, you know, a lot of things like that going on. And so I wanted an escape from those things. And I found at a certain point that a lot of the really good books that I wanted to read, and I say good, and I realize that that's, I don't want to assign that kind of value to say some things are good and some things are bad. I would say, maybe I should say a lot of the more intellectual things I wanted to read or more higher quality TV shows with a lot going on, I just found to be too much for me, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally, because I get very emotionally invested in characters and I care deeply and I feel devastated when things happen to people on a show that I care about or when bad things happen to someone in a book. And I came to a point in my life where I just, I had more time where I wanted to escape from those kind of things. I didn't want to feel bad. I didn't feel like I could emotionally handle it. I was just kind of at my point. And so for me, the trashier things are something that I can actually enjoy because I don't feel incredibly invested in the characters and I know that things are basically okay for these people and, you know, nothing truly terrible is going to happen. Like, so it's, it's easier to just relax, mm-hmm. as I guess what I'm getting at. And sometimes I just want to unwind. When you consume my art or whatever, you are, you are supposed to get involved with <coughs> in characters like that. And you're not, not supposed to just view it as kind of casual entertainment. There's like, there's, there's supposed to be hidden meanings and, like, there's secondary things that you're supposed to get out of it. Well, and the idea, I think, of any form of art is supposed to, in some sense, provoke you and give you something to really grapple with. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's great. I mean, that's really why art exists. But at the same time, I also use... I use TV and movies and books not just in that sense where I want to be provoked and to grow and grapple with things, I also sometimes use it to relax. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I'm using it to relax, I need things that are not provoking me too much. I guess like I do like kind of, I like over the top bad things, but if something's just kind of bad and not, you know what I mean? That there's like two types of bad movies, you know? It's like there's bad movies and that... And there's movies that are so bad that they're enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. They cross back over into being enjoyable. And I just don't think that any... None of the reality shows I've seen, are, they're all bad. 
none of them that I have seen have been bad enough in some way that, that it makes it enjoyable for me. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just the format puts me off like reality shows. I don't know. I think um, for me too, that's that's not all, that's not the only reason. That's just like one of the sure. aspects that I'm liking about them. I think also from a voyeuristic standpoint, I'm always interested to see um, what other people's lives are like. And even though the reality shows, as we all know, are, of course, you know, scripted and faked and everything like that, it's always interesting to me to see kind of a glimpse of, like, what other people are living like, mm-hmm. you know. And for things like the Kardashians or things that are supposed to be lifestyles of the rich and famous type of things, I like to see the clothes that they wear. Like, I enjoy just, you know, the fashion and the parties and just seeing things like that. It's fun for me. It's like visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I don't... It doesn't register for me at all. Yeah, and see, I, I love clothes so much. Mm. Even though, like, I, as far as what I actually wear, I have, like, a pr- pretty limited wardrobe. I'm actually really excited by fashion. Like, I love seeing other people wearing things and different dresses and things like that. And so that's a whole aspect of those shows that I think is really appealing to me that you're just totally not interested in. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the thing. that's another thing where that's what I'm getting out of it. Yeah, no, I think the artificial nature of the reality show bothers me. Like, it presents itself as being reality, and then it's the biggest thing in the world. Um, I don't like the recaps after the commercial breaks. I feel like they're all too long. I feel like every reality show could be shorter no matter how long it is. I um, think... I think maybe I'm able to spin my disbelief more because I look at the reality show and I know that it's fake, but the same way that I watch a movie and I know it's fake, but I still kind of suspend my disbelief and I'm able to just sort of, as I'm watching it, enjoy it as though it's really happening, Mm -hmm. but knowing the whole time that it's really just a story. I think that's more how I watch, and I think maybe you really want them to be documentaries. Yeah. I think that's maybe a difference in why I'm enjoying them and you're not. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of things that are reality shows that if they were filmed in a more documentary style, mm-hmm. I would actually be interested in. Because, I mean, the premises, they do offer some intriguing things, but once they get into the format of the reality show, it just it loses all. And Dr. Drews gets involved, and then it's all over for me, <laughs> Well, it's like, I remember you were telling me about there was a reality show you tried to watch, something about Bam Margera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a, I don't remember the name of it, but uh, it was, he was turning into a self-destructive alcoholic because his best friend, Ryan Dunn, died, and then his mom, April Margera, is very concerned about him, so she's bringing him to this reality show where they're going to somehow, like, be in a sober house with a bunch of other people that have various problems of different determined origin. The next thing you know, he's, you know, April Margera is fighting with uh, New York from I Love New York's mom. And, uh, you know, (laughs) not anything I want to see. So even though it's a concept I would otherwise be interested in, they've kind of killed it for me, and I never want to watch that show again, even though... They filmed it in a different way. I'd be all about it. And I understand that, but I would also say that I don't like that kind of reality show. Like, celebrity rehab type of things just don't do anything for me. Like, I'm just not... I'm not interested. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, even, even like a show that I watch, like, I've been watching, I've been watching the, you know, Teen Mom and 16 and Pregnant shows since the very beginning, but I don't watch the episodes where kind of near the end of the season, usually they have, um, a catching up episode with, um, Dr. Drew where he tries to, you know, counsel them and help them get over their problems. And I can't even watch those episodes as, as much as I'm like, I've seen every episode of the season. It's still just like, no, I can't, it's too, it's boring and it's terrible. And yeah, that's not really my kind of thing. I also think I would just like to say on the record that Dr. Drew is a terrible doctor. <laughs> so, in case anyone was not clear about that. Yeah, you should you should still call 911 <laughs> if, if uh, somebody breaks their leg in front of Dr. Drew. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't uh, rely on his medical expertise. No, that. also if you're having you know a psychological issue, I, I would probably seek help from, from other, other avenues. Oh my gosh. It's not going to get better. He is going to make you cry. But ultimately, your problems are still going to be there. I don't see how putting people with horrible problems on TV really helps anyone, but... It seems like it usually doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, now, uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about with reality TV? Or? Um, not right now, but you did remind me in your thing about you know putting people with horrible problems on TV, not helping anyone. I think that's a good segue to talking about blogs, which okay. is another thing that one of the main things we talked about that maybe we could discuss mm-hmm. for this podcast. Um, and the reason that that kind of made me think of that is that I know one of the areas that I've been interested in and that we've talked about a lot about is some of the blogs that I follow um, will have, because I read a lot of personal blogs, specifically mommy blogs, and I'd like to talk about them more in a general sense, but sticking to you know kind of how we got here. There are some blogs where relationships have broken up or where, you know, there have been infidelities and the relationships have been repaired and they've gone on, and the bloggers have blogged very publicly about Mm -hmm. that. And um, you've been horrified by some of the things I've shown you, like, specifically, like, one of the blogs that I follow, or I did follow, they've actually stopped blogging, which we can talk about more in a bit, but... It was all about a couple who experienced infidelity in a very large segment of their blog. I think it started just as a mommy blog, and then a very large segment of the blog and how it became popular became all about she discovered that he'd been unfaithful, and it became this whole long thing of recovery and him, you know, publicly apologizing and blogging about it on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And I know that you were particularly disturbed by that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like... First, you've you've transgressed in your marriage. Second, you try to make it right with your wife. Third, you have to write a long blog post for this mommy blog that your wife is doing and like publicly humiliate yourself forever. And it's not like that ever goes down. It's not like it's up for a week and then people forget about it. It's like I bet if we went and tried to find that, it would still be there, you know. So I, but I, but my point is with that, it's like, you know. If you are able to not be reminded of some your their, your partner's mistakes constantly, you can probably move past being upset at them constantly. But if it's like frozen in time on the thing that you're trying to make money from, it's like it's gonna like irritate you in ways that it might not otherwise. And I have mixed feelings about it because I think in 
to a certain extent, I agree with you. I think if you truly are trying to move past something, I imagine it would be very difficult if not only do all the people you know know about it, but you're constantly revisiting it because you're writing about it and talking about it. I think that that would be hard to move on if you're just dwelling on it and dwelling on it. And it seems like it would be mortifying to have, you know, your children and your parents and your coworkers, everyone knows that this has happened. That just, I don't know how you would overcome that. It seems like too much. But on the other hand, I think maybe what these people are trying to do, and I can kind of understand that there maybe is a certain amount of sense to this, is to be very public and through being totally open, because the idea of transgressing in your marriage, having an affair, it's like you've done something that was wrong and secret, and I think that they're hoping that the antidote to that is to be totally open. You're not hiding things from each other anymore. You don't have anything to hide. You've just kind of laid it all out. And it is related to um, this particular blog that we're discussing is like a very religious family, and I think that the kind of Christianity that they practice really encourages people the idea of kind of being broken before God and sort of laying yourself bare. And I think that they're kind of trying to do that as their path to healing their infidelity is that you're broken before God and all the people you know, and that you publicly acknowledge this and really beating yourself down. And that by being that clear and laying yourself bare, then you can really experience healing because you've been, you know, truly open finally. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're going for, and I think there is something to be said for that, even though I share your concerns and, you know, feeling that maybe that's not the best. I also think, you know, there is something to be said for being honest and open, So, and that's what they're trying to do. So I can't say that I think it's totally a bad idea, and as far as I know, that couple from the blog is still together. Their blog is not happening anymore, um, but they're still very active on social media so they're still you know maintaining a certain public presence hmm. but how does that relate to the fact that you are a more private person because these people that you read are obviously much more open than you would ever be yeah. naturally i think that's part of it is that um i am such a private person that i admire people that are more open mm-hmm. i think that's part of it I admire people that are more open, and I'm just, I'm very interested in other people's lives. I like blogs in general, in that I can, you know, get a glimpse into what other people are doing. And of course, you know, similar to like what we were saying with reality TV, of course it is scripted. Of course, a blog doesn't show you everything, it's just what they choose to show you. But I still enjoy blogs a lot because it is that sort of glimpse into someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And both because I can read about people who maybe I have things in common with, Mm -hmm. and also because I can read about people who maybe are very different than me in Mm -hmm. certain ways. Both of those things are things I, I enjoy. Well, and also, I think we were talking about before the idea of integrating ads into your blog. You know, there is a way to do it that seems more natural than other ways. I mean, what what have you seen with that? Well, I mean, what you were saying, I think, is that as far as being scripted, and then, of course, things are very scripted Mm -hmm. when you're trying to integrate ads into them. Um, I think that, of course, sort of the dream of being a blogger Mm -hmm. 
is that you somehow make money doing it and that you... So really, bloggers are kind of hoping to sell out in that sense of they're hoping mm -hmm. to be able to monetize their blogging somehow. And so I, I think that something that maybe bothers you, like I know it bothers you anytime bloggers are trying to sell anything. Um, but to me, that doesn't bother me because, I mean, that's really what the blog exists for. Like, especially the kind of blogs that I tend to read are, tend to be like lifestyle blogs. And the only way you can really sell anything is to kind of, you're selling your lifestyle and the things that go along with that. And I think, I don't have any problem with that. I think it can happen successfully in a way that I think is still pleasurable to the viewers if the content that you're trying to sell is something that's believable as part of your lifestyle. Like clothing that your child looks cute in that you normally would of course want to dress them in this that's an easy sell you know you just keep doing your same activities but now they're in cute clothes mm -hmm. um but i think where it goes wrong is when the ads seem to force like things that i don't believe you would have bought mm -hmm. or things that maybe you would have bought but i think you would have just used them quietly and not posted about them mm -hmm. like i've seen it go wrong a lot with cleaning products because I'm sure there are I'm sure some blogs that are more about very specific domestic you know how to clean things and things like that and that would be a blog where you could have an ad for a cleaning product embedded into your content and that would be no problem that would totally make sense but I tend to read more things that are focused more on like beautiful pictures of your cute family and talking about your fun activities and just not so much the nitty-gritty details and so when suddenly someone who usually you know shows picture of their kids eating ice cream and talks about their weekend getaway to like a scenic cabin and things like that when that person suddenly has a post where they're just all talking about like stain removal that's really jarring because it's not something I believe they would have written about had they not been sponsored by this product. Mm -hmm. And it's not what I want to read the blog about mm -hmm. because I'm not really interested in how they get their stains out. <laughs> I would go to a cleaning things blog if that's what I wanted. So that's where I see it going wrong. And that is a problem because I think if you are making money off of a blog, you are going to have to balance between keeping your blog good versus, you know, getting as much money as you can by taking on as many sponsorships as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard line. And I think, you know, some blogs manage to go for a while and other blogs tend to slip off. Like I was recently reading a little bit about one of the blogs that's, I think one of the most well-known mommy bloggers is this woman named Heather Armstrong who, um, blogs under the name Ducey and, her blog was very, very popular for a long time, and she's recently stepped back from blogging. Like, I think she still does, but she posts not very... She doesn't post as often. She's really written about how she's stepping back, partially because she said that her life wasn't really fun anymore because she had taken on so many sponsorships that she constantly had to generate posts to fulfill her agreements that she'd made with different sponsors. And so she's, you know, trying to force her kids to do activities that maybe they weren't interested in doing at the time or on that day, or maybe they weren't feeling good, but she's trying to force them to do these activities. 
in a way that looks good so she can photograph it and then turn out the post and she just said that, that was too much. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a real, I'm sure that's a real problem for a lot of bloggers. Mm-hmm. Of course, in her case, she's also a person who had, and I'm only saying this because this is a very public part of her persona, mm-hmm. but she's very publicly in her blog struggled with a lot of depression and anxiety and I think that the blogging became a source of more depression and anxiety for her, so I mean that kind of went wrong. And I think her marriage also fell apart, which is another thing that you and I have discussed a lot, which mm-hmm. is that when mommy blogs become very popular, sometimes they become so popular that usually, usually they're being run by a woman who is, you know, a working from home mom, and then they're making so much money that sometimes the husband who was working outside the home will leave his outside employment to also be employed working for the blog, and that seems like it goes wrong a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, Heather Armstrong is not the only example of someone whose husband left his outside employment and then they end up getting divorced. There's another blog called The Girl Who, recently that also happened. They were both just working on the blog. He had been a struggling musician in that case, though, so I think maybe he was kind of needing a career mm-hmm. change and it's like, you can come and handle the advertising side of this and we'll both be blogging. And that seems like it goes wrong a lot. Right. Well, I mean, like we talked about, some guys have a complex about their wife earning more money than them, so maybe that figures into it. Also, you know, the balance that they had in their marriage before that had to do with you not being at home all the time. So yeah, maybe... I mean, some people, I think, some some husband and wives probably do work really well together, like they should have a business together. But sometimes it's nice, I think, to have separate things that you do and then, you know, come together at the end of the day or whatever and be able to talk about your mm-hmm. separate things that have happened to you over mm-hmm. the course of the day. And so sometimes just being home together all the time maybe isn't a good idea. And I've seen a few blogs where this has happened where, you know, the husband leaves his outside employment to just work on the blog and then they end up renting a workspace outside of their home usually, like an office space of some kind, probably because they find they do need some separation and distance from just being home together, just blogging. Mm -hmm. But then I think that probably adds more pressure because then obviously your expenses are bigger. Not only do you need to make enough money to keep supporting your family, but you also need to make enough money to now pay for, you know, renting out this workspace. So you're taking the pressure off because maybe it was too much to just be home together all the time. But then there's additional financial pressure, and so then, of course, there's more pressure to keep churning out these sponsored posts. So I think that can become a vicious cycle, and you can just see how that can go wrong. Um, now, you told me about this. these sites. These are like side sites where people uh, complain about Yes, blogs. there are some websites... Or I guess you would call them online forums. I don't know the correct terminology for that. So I'm not I'm not that into this, but I have discovered that it exists. And I think it's interesting that people care enough to be this invested. Because I care about the blogs I read and stuff, but this is, I think, going to another level. And maybe, maybe it's just that I don't like the negativity. But, yes, there are sites that exist just for people to have forums to talk about. Usually in a very negative context to discuss what's happening with the um, blogs. Mm-hmm. Usually they just, usually it's just about, you know, criticizing and ripping apart whatever the person is blogging about. And to a certain a point, I, I understand that. 
Because of course, of course, I look at some things and have my own critical thoughts about them. So I'm not trying to say that I'm immune from those sort of baser impulses. But I do think people take it too far. You know, like people want to find things to just hate on these blogs about. They really want to like hate read them and just really hate on them. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, you do kind of put yourself up for that by putting things out into the world. You do. So I'm not. I'm not saying that people shouldn't hate read blogs, or even that I don't. I'm just saying that it's not my main focus. Like I find things, you know, some blogs I do read, and some of the things I'm like, that's outrageous, or that's weird, or I have my own critical thoughts. But overarchingly, I think that honestly, reading people's blogs has made me maybe more open and tolerant to people because there are a lot of bloggers that have certain aspects of their beliefs or their lifestyles that are very contrary to my own beliefs or my own lifestyle or what I think or value, but I've still found myself being more compassionate because as you, as you get to know more and more, you do kind of find yourself finding less to criticize, I guess in the sense that you see where someone's coming from, even if you don't agree with, with them. And so I feel like to me, it's made me a little more tolerant rather than less so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's understandable. That that's part of why I would be worried to be a blogger, though, like this, because you are putting your personal life out there for other people's consumption, and yeah. it's kind of like, what do you do? You keep anything back for yourself? I am titillated, but also disturbed when people cross that line. Like, I'm of course interested when people blog about details like we were talking about people blogging about infidelity there's other details like some bloggers blog in detail about their intimate lives you know with their husband and things like that that to me aren't appropriate as far as i wouldn't i wouldn't consider it too appropriate to share details like that on a blog mm -hmm. but at the same time of course i am interested right. in what other, what's going on with other people i have i will say though that the blogs that share inappropriate details, I found either over time they kind of adapt and become more appropriate, or they tend to end badly. Like, the people that tend to share inappropriate details about their marital lives usually, I think, end up getting divorced, or they end up becoming more guarded and more appropriate. And I think part of that has to do with to a certain extent, the, the blogs that have become more guarded over time, some of that has to do with people's increased awareness of how public blogs are. Mm -hmm. Like, when I first started reading blogs, I think a lot of people were treating them more as journals. Mm -hmm. Not as many people were online, not as many people were aware of how easy it would be for anyone to find their blogs or whatever. Like, I think I made a reference earlier to uh, Heather Armstrong. She was one of the kind of at the forefront of the mommy bloggers that were making money. Now, she actually lost her job when she mm -hmm. first, when her blog first started becoming popular because she blogged very candidly about her job and her coworkers and some things that her employer, when they became aware of her blog, found unacceptable enough to fire her. Mm -hmm. And I think that she just, I mean, according to what she has said about it, she just honestly at the time didn't think that anyone that she worked with would ever know that she was blogging. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think now we know that maybe, you know, there's a chance that people won't know about your blog, but you should always at least consider what you're putting out there as something that anyone 
anyone in your life could encounter this at any time. And you mm-hmm. have to be okay with that. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, but yeah, I think people are more aware of that now than ever. I mean, when we started with the internet, there were probably people, most people didn't think that, oh man, this is permanent record and everyone's going to be able to read this, even though they're putting it on the internet. Maybe they should have known better, but do you give them any kind of credence for having been naive at the beginning? I think a little bit, because I think people honestly underestimate it too from a generational standpoint how older generations would become more and more engaged with technology like mm-hmm. i think when we were say the beginning of college age mm-hmm. i think we were right at a point where we were starting to be more engaged as far as like social media type of things mm-hmm. but that was really before even our parents let alone our grandparents were at all into those kind of things for the most part like i'm saying like when the Facebook started, it was like a closed community just for your school. Mm-hmm. And so I think people felt that there was a certain amount of privacy. And in some ways I miss those days, not because I personally ever posted things that I wouldn't want my parents to see, but just more that they weren't who I had in mind when I was posting things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, it, it was more of a closed community for just other students. I think people felt a sense of privacy, whereas now it's like not just your parents, but like your great grandparents could also be on the Facebook, you know. And right. So there are there are so many, you know, to take a line from The Sopranos, inspired and inspiring senior citizens. That there are some people mm-hmm. that are now using the computer in ways that I don't think people anticipated they would ever be using computer, you know. So <laughs> I think I think like like well, I guess what I'm saying is that. When you're young and you're just getting into a technology, you kind of think that it's your game, and you don't take into account that older people, even if they're not aware of it or using it now, if it stays around for a little while, they're probably going to get into it and start to be exposed to more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... Is there anything else I didn't ask you about blogs that you wanted to talk about? I'm sure there is, but I, not off the top of my head. I mean, we can come back to this if we need okay. to. But. Um, now, another thing that I know you're into, related but not exactly, is blogs, video blogs on YouTube. Yes. Um, what do you get out of blogs that you don't get out of blogs? As well? Well, I think that there's some overlap but the big difference in the way that I originally got into vlogs Mm -hmm. has to do with um, and vlogs I mean there are vlogs obviously on all kinds of different topics but the ones that I first got interested in really have to do with um, kind of materialism and um, things that I'm interested in that I don't necessarily have many people in my life that share those interests Mm -hmm. because like I really enjoy shopping and thinking about shopping. Like, it's not just the actual shopping, but I like to think about shopping. Like, not just in a general sense, but I really like to think about, like, nice things and things that I want to acquire and really in great detail. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that I have a lot of people in my personal life to share that interest. And I realized that that doesn't make me very unique. I mean, in our society, obviously, a lot of people are into material things and shopping. But I guess in the social groups that I tend to be in, it makes me kind of an outlier. Mm -hmm. It's not really the way that I was raised to be, and it's not really 
the way that most of my close friends are. So for me, I kind of got into vlogs to kind of connect with and enjoy certain interests that I don't get to enjoy in real life. So you think that vlogs are by nature kind of materialistic? Not by nature, because like I said, there's vlogs on all kinds of topics, but that is one aspect or one, I guess, genre of vlogging that I think has really taken off, and that's one thing that vlogs do specifically well, better even. That's that's something that vlogs do better than um, blogs. Like I said, a lot of blogs that I read, I mostly read for personal stories. Like I like to read about real people just doing different things, whereas... And there are some vlogs that I follow that are like that too, that I read for that same, those same reasons. But, um, <laughs> vlogs on the other hand, like I wouldn't necessarily read a blog post of someone just being like, here's my jewelry collection. These are the things that I bought from Tiffany's or whatever. Cause to me, that wouldn't be that exciting, but I've definitely watched a lot of videos of people showing off their, you know, collections of different things that they have. Mm -hmm. um, like, sometimes I'll watch haul videos. I don't watch them that much because some of them are boring, but a haul video is basically a video where someone just goes on a shopping trip and shows you what they bought. Mm -hmm. And... I can't really. It's hard for me. I know that's not something you would be interested in. It's hard for me to explain why. But, because I just like to see what other, what uh, stuff other people have. I mean, okay, here's an example of how I would find something like that useful. Since having, a, since having a child, like, before you have a baby, you, tr you start thinking about useful things that you might want to acquire, you know, for, you know, being a parent. Like, you know, there's so many baby items out there that you might want or find useful. So I watched a lot of vlogs when I was pregnant of people doing like baby supply hauls just to get ideas, to see like what are the things that other people have for their babies and does this look good? Does this look like something that we might want or find useful? Um, I think sometimes people cheat in the haul videos though, which I find really annoying mm -hmm. because, okay, I believe that the definition of a haul video should be all things that you've bought all at once. So like a monster shopping trip, like the kind of trip where you go to Target and the cart's loaded down and because, you know, you were out of everything and just everything is in your cart and then you bring that home. That's a haul to me. Mm -hmm. Or like a makeup haul. You go to Sephora and you buy five things and you're like, here's my makeup haul. Um, and I think partially I find that kind of thing fascinating because I don't tend to do that kind of shopping. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm always, you know, someone that plans their purchases pretty carefully. I tend to buy, like, one exciting item at once. I never buy, like, ten things from Sephora, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm kind of just, you know, taken aback by people that do. But getting back to what I was saying about cheating, I think some people will just sort of save products up for a while and then do a haul. Like, some people will shop at five different baby stores and then be like, here's the baby product haul. Mm -hmm. And that is annoying to me because I just don't think that that is a real haul video. <laughs> and I just think, you know, that's just my own personal little preference though. Mm -hmm. um, people will do gift hauls too, which I know there's a lot of criticism. A lot of, there's a lot of criticism of people doing gift hauls because people say you're bragging. And a lot of bloggers will have kind of a disclaimer in front of the gift haul where they're like, 
I'm so grateful to the Lord who's blessed us with the ability to buy these things and all of the family and friends that have come out to celebrate us and on and on and on. And I appreciate what they're trying to do because they want to express that they're grateful. And then that's nice, but I don't think it's necessary. I think it's okay to just be like, here's some stuff and I like it and I don't need to apologize for it. I don't ready to involve the Lord. <laughs> but people do because I, but I think the reason people get to that point is because there is so much backlash where people will be like, your kids are so spoiled and you're so awful and why would you do this? But honestly, I've really enjoyed, for example, birthday present call videos for children because... It gives me ideas of, like, like when we were shopping for presents when we wanted to figure out what we would like to do for his first birthday, I watched a lot of haul videos of people showing what their kids got at their birthday parties. Mm-hmm. And it did give me good ideas for what, what would a one-year-old like. Because especially when you're not around a lot of kids until you have your own kid and your kid is so young that they're not necessarily getting out there and being with other kids, you don't necessarily know what's out there or what would be a good idea. So it's fun to see. Mm-hmm. And get ideas for what other people have. Yeah, totally. Now, there's just, like, confessional-type vlogs as well, right? Just, like, people, like, basically just talking at the camera, right? Do you, I'm sure there are, but I don't watch those. You don't watch those kind. I really am pretty specific about what I watch. I watch um, makeup tutorials. Mm-hmm. Because I've gotten more into makeup in the last few years, and I like getting ideas about how to wear stuff, especially since I was not really raised to wear makeup. My mom doesn't wear makeup. I never really knew. I wasn't allowed to wear it very much in high school, so I didn't really have that time to practice. So it's nice to get ideas about like what to do. Mm-hmm. So I watch those type of very specific how-to videos, and I watch... Um, just some that are more like blogs that are just kind of people's, you know, this is about their life and their family, usually just of moms of young children. So people that I have something in common with and also I'm interested in what the variations between me and them. And then I do watch hauls like we were talking about. But that's pretty much my, those are the areas I watch and I'm really mm-hmm. venture very far away from that. Well, because, like, video blogs are very specific as far as it's requiring two of your senses at the same time, whereas... You know, just reading the blog, you're just reading the blog. It's not like you're also listening to them talk while you read it. You know what I mean? There's only one sense that's being engaged like that. So I guess that's maybe why I don't, I mean, to the limited extent that I read blogs, I I do because it only requires a little bit of my attention. But if it's like I have to sit there and watch this for a certain amount of time, it seems like I'm kind of locked in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So... I feel like a lot of vlogs are so short, though. Like, it's just a few minutes, and you That's can true. skip, you know, to the ones that you're interested in. And there are some that I, I get bored. Like, I follow certain, you know, pregnancy... I've followed certain pregnancy vlogs that I've kind of gotten bored with. Like, like there's one that I'm following where she just posts once a week just about her updates on her... Um, updates on her pregnancy. <laughs> um... And I've honestly gotten bored with that. I really just want to skip ahead. I keep checking back to her site because I'm waiting for the reveal where she says what she's going to name the baby. Like, I was excited to see that she's already revealed. She, they found out it was a boy. They had one of those parties where, have you seen this? Where you go and you, like, gun something down and it, like, releases a powder and the powder is, like, either blue or pink? You, sorry, you gun something down? Yeah, <laughs> okay. I assume you just get, I don't know if it's, like, a... 
clay pigeons that you shoot, or if it's more just that they have a box, like a cardboard box containing something. Are you talking about guns, like actual guns? Yes. People say guns to like where they where do they shoot? Usually, this happens in a field. So they take guns to a field. Usually, I usually when I've seen this done, it's usually people who, you know, have you know, family or themselves that live in a rural area. So they have, you know, a field where it would be appropriate to do some kind of target practicing. But they have a party for the gender reveal, which I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of the gender reveal party. And, you you know, you slice into the cake, it's blue or pink, those kind of things. But this is the scenario where you shoot something and then whenever you hit, I'm not exactly sure what it is that they set up, but it's something that when you shoot it, it releases like either a blue or a pink power. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting, you know, because everyone's waiting to see it just happen. And plus, you know, it's for people. And usually I think people, and I don't know enough about guns to tell you what kind of guns they use, but they look like cool looking guns, like not just like a regular shot. Like they're more like, more like, ex- like the kind of gun that you'd be really excited to really be out there, like <laughs> firing off. Um, I've seen this a lot with families where the father-to-be is a hunter so he's really into guns already and then probably the people that are coming to the party are also people that are excited by this so it's just you know it's kind of part of a natural part of some people's lifestyle that this would be like a good idea right um and i could see the excitement i mean that's a pretty exciting way to way to do it but anyway so like one person i'm doing had had one of those and that was exciting and since then i haven't really been reading her updates because she basically just measures her stomach and I mean, she goes into, like, really, really excruciating detail, like, and then on Wednesday, I felt, like, a slight cramping, and then she'll talk about, like, her diarrhea, and, like, her insomnia, and, like, discharges, and, like, things like that that are, like, a little bit much, Mm -hmm. but I do appreciate that she tries to go really into just every detail. Right. But I usually skip those, and I'm waiting more for the one where she'll probably reveal the name at some point, and that'll be exciting. (laughs) So... Interesting. Um, but it seems like a lot of the gu- things that we're talking about as guilty pleasures are very like confessional things that other people put. Is part of maybe the guilty pleasureness of it that it's unseemly to be that interested in other people's personal lives? I think that's part of it. I would say because. I think, on the one hand, I think it's healthy to take an interest in other people and to try to learn and grow from that. But I do think that it is maybe unseemly to be too interested. You know, voyeurism is only considered acceptable to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And when you take pleasure in knowing about, you know, details that maybe you consider to be slightly inappropriate to share, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm interested in details of other people's lives that I wouldn't feel were appropriate to share my own life. So maybe that's not fair. But, I mean, if they're sharing them freely, I guess that's okay. Right. Um, I think a lot of the definition for me of guilty pleasure is something that you're titillated by despite what you would like to be. Like, there are things that I'm titillated by. Like, I'm titillated by Scott Disick. I don't want to be titillated by Scott Disick. Like, I think he's a... Uh, you know, from what he shows of himself on his show, you know, he's a bad person. And I think he behaves badly and I think he has bad values and he does things that are wrong. But I'm titillated by him. And so I take pleasure in watching the Kardashian episodes where he's on there. I am. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I guess I do feel guilty because it's like, this is not something that I want to take pleasure in. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be why it's a guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you, you don't think the little Lord Disick is a good role model for the children? <laughs> I would never let my children watch the show. <laughs> One of, the, one of the Ten Commandments is that you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods, but mm-hmm. I always felt like that was kind of a hard one to live up to, because it's like, how would our economy work if you were not coveting other people's stuff? So it's like, it's kind of an impossible standard to live up to, but you're right, it is kind of unseemly to be up and, you know, interest, that interested in other people's business, even if they're offering it up for you to look at. I think that I'm not coveting as much as, like, like when we were talking about with the vlogging and me saying that I like to watch like um, people talk about their collections, like collection videos. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't think I'm really coveting those things so much as I guess what I was getting at is that I don't have very many people in my real life that I can talk to and great like that want that have the interest in say like Tiffany jewelry. Like I don't. It's not even just jewelry that I have so much as I just I'm very interested in just the different things that they've made over the years and the different charms they have and how they look when people are wearing them and just great details um, um, about those things. And it's the kind of thing that if I had a girlfriend that was interested in those things, I would just want to chat about it for hours. But so it's not so much that I'm coveting those pieces of jewelry that the person that's vlogging has Mm -hmm. as just that I'm enjoying a space where they're just... They're just sharing about the things they have and talking about them. And I find that interesting and it's supported in that space. Whereas it's not always supported, not everyone wants to just talk about jewelry. You know? So you were you were asking about um, coveting, you know, things that people do in the haul videos or collection videos, and I was saying that for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's not so much about that, it's more about having a safe space to talk about the things that you enjoy or have an enjoy and so it's more of almost you almost feel not a companionship but in a certain sense yes it's like just an area of interest and they the person who's sharing their things is sharing something that they enjoy and they're sharing it with people who would enjoy seeing it this mm-hmm. is kind of how i look at it but on that topic uh, i was going to mention because you were talking about, you know, online forums that people start to talk about things. Um, Mm -hmm. There are online forums. Like, I think the most popular one is called the Purse Forum. And it's not just about purses, but that's a safe space where people can go to to talk about their, like, high-end products that they've bought. Mm. Because it is the type of thing, like, if if you're interested in certain things, it's, like, not something that everyone wants to hear about. Mm -hmm. But, But people that like those things like to go talk about them. Like, people that have a lot of designer handbags like having a space where they can go and talk about their designer handbags without people, without other people just accusing them of being materialistic or boring. Because to some people, like a person that likes designer handbags, that might be something they have a lot to say about. And I do think that that is something the internet has given people is like ways to connect with other people that share certain interests when they don't feel like... either Either they don't have people in their lives that share those interests... Or they feel like it's considered unseemly to talk about certain things. Like, mm-hmm. like if you are a person that has the expendable income to buy a lot of nice things, I think it's still considered unseemly to talk a lot about them. Mm-hmm. But if it's actually something you love, 
wouldn't you want to talk about it? So, mm-hmm. you know, making a video about it to share with other people that are interested is kind of a safe way to do that. But in that context, it's not really a guilty pleasure because the only reason you're talking to these other people in this particular space is because you both share this interest. Yes, but it's a guilty pleasure in the sense that maybe you feel guilty about it in your personal life, so you've come to this safe space to talk about it. Like, maybe... Maybe even though you can afford all the designer handbags, and I'm obviously not speaking from you know personal viewpoints. I don't really have a lot of like designer handbags, but I just, this is I think it's a good example though. There are people that own like 50 designer handbags, and they can afford them, and it's not like they're taking away from other parts of their life to get those bags. Mm-hmm. But there are still other people that would see those bags and say you could have taken care of an entire impoverished family for an entire year for the price of that bag. And then that person feels bad. You know what I mean? So, so I think it's a, so for the, for, so for a person who, so for a person who feels torn, because maybe they do, maybe this person does contribute a lot to charity and to helping people, but still feels like they could do more. Mm-hmm. So they feel guilty about using some of their money just to buy these really nice things that they like having. So then buying those nice things is like guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. I guess unless there's some secret handbag closet I don't know about. <laughs> that would be very surprising. Well, but that's a perfect example. I mean, because like I said, I don't really have any handbags. But if I did, and like if I could afford them and had them, I probably would buy some because I like that kind of thing. But it would be a guilty pleasure for me because I was definitely raised to be a person that would spend that money, even if they had it, on other things that are considered more valuable, you know, to the way that I was raised and the way that I think that I should be. Like, I think I should be a person who would never waste the money on a Birkin bag. But if I had the money and, like, didn't need it for other things, yeah, I would buy one. But I would feel a little bit guilty because I would know that I could really do something that's actually good and that I value more in a certain sense other than the fact that I would value the pleasure that I would get out of having the Birkin bag enough to, like, make it worth it to me. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it would be a guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But are you glad your parents raised you with that value system, then? Yes and no. I mean, I think it's... I mean, How can I say am I glad that they raised me a certain value system? I think there are good things about it. I think that I obviously am in the sense that, like I said, even the people that I have surrounded myself with by choice, so outside of my family, just, you know, my friends, I think, are people that have, in some ways, better values than I, and that they are ten- they do tend to be not very materialistic. So, I, so obviously, I value that enough that those are the kind of people that I tend to want to be around. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that I do have this side to my personality... <laughs> that I think then I am not nurturing as much in my real life because for what I, what I, I guess what I value the most and what I've surrounded myself with isn't really about that. It's just that I do have that guilty pleasure that I want to fulfill through other avenues is I guess really what it comes down to. So we always talk about music on the Rob Burgess show, as you may or may not know. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I've begun to suspect. Um, um, <laughs> what kind of music do you listen to? Well, I think I'll start out answering this question with a story about us, in, kind of near the beginning of our relationship. Well, really before we actually were in a relationship, near the beginning of our friendship. Okay. Um, you asked me, that was the first time you asked me that question. Um, we had known each other 
and, you know, been living in close proximity for a little while, but we were still kind of getting to know each other. And you asked me what kind of music I listened to because, um, you were actually living kind of just down the hall from me and you were like, I never hear you listening to music. And, and we had been to, to give people a little bit of context. We knew, we met through a mutual friend. So we, at this point in our relationship where you were asking me this question, we're living in close proximity to each other, but we were still kind of in the beginning of our friendship and you were, you know, getting to know each other and you had kind of been like noting, I guess, that you didn't ever hear me listening to music, just, you know, you, you know, passing by my doorway, you didn't hear music drifting into the hallway or whatever. And music is obviously very important to you. And so you were kind of, I think you were kind of intrigued and also horrified, just trying to figure out, you know, who is this girl that's like not listening to music apparently in her room, which is not true. I was listening to music all the time. I just usually listen to music with headphones because not always, but often for me, listening to music is just kind of a solitary activity. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would listen to music, I guess, especially in a communal living situation, I would listen to music with headphones. I would, you know, play music loudly if I was having a party or something. But like, to me, it wouldn't occur to listen to music if I'm just by myself. Why would I not use my headphones, I guess? But anyway, I think you kind of asked me that question and you were just trying to figure me out. And I've always put, felt very put on the spot with, by that question. Because, <laughs> no, just because I listen to like a ton of different music. I listen to, I love all different kinds of music, but I'm also not extremely well-versed in music. Whereas I, I feel like you're a person who really knows a lot about music, compared to me, at least. Maybe, sure. But, so anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a tough a tough question to answer. Um, and I've kind of evaded actually answering the question, too. So, so far. Honest, yeah, so, so far. far. <laughs> um, I've heard any, yeah. But, I mean, what kind of question is that? What kind of music do you listen to? Because I feel like that's, I feel like that's not a real question. <laughs> Okay. It's the type of question you ask someone when you're trying to get to know them, and the person is supposed to have a prepared answer of a couple of different, you know, bands or musical acts or whatever that communicate to the person asking the question what they want to know about them. You know, you're supposed to say, like, it reminds me of, I used to subscribe to a magazine called All About You when I was kind of in, like, the late elementary to tween years. All About You is, like, a magazine for young girls that just has questions, most of them to kind of help reveal, you know, what type of guy you should date or, like, what your style is or something. Mm -hmm. And, like, an example of a typical question that would be in one of these quizzes would be, like, does your ideal guy like listening to Limp Bizkit or Alien Ant Farm? Or is he more into Matchbox 20? Or is he really into, like, Dave Matthews Band? And, you know, of course, this is to lead you to the end where they tell you if you should try to date, like, a jock or, like, an alternative guy or the class clown or something. But my point is that I feel like the question, what kind of music are you into, is really just where you're supposed to have the prepared answer that tells someone what they need to know about you. Like, I should say, like, I'm really into Adele. And then you kind of know that I'm, like, into like I'm like deep thinking but also into like what's popular and I'm like a woman and I'm like you know I I have deep feelings but I'm like you know in my defense I don't always (laughs) ask it as what kind of music are you into I do sometimes say 
what kind of music are you listening to lately? That, I think, is a much better question. All right, Because that really gives someone a chance to say, here's just one of the things I'm interested in, and here's something about me right now, and talk about why that's, like, into them right now. Well, pretend that's what I asked you. Unfortunately, I don't have a great answer to that (laughs) question, because, I mean, being the parent of a young child, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've really lost touch with what's happening musically, like, as far as, like, what's currently like what's been coming out lately um uh-huh. i don't i don't even know i noticed that you're still not <laughs> any of these questions <laughs> yes it's driving me crazy i can't help Just... but, but but note that okay well i will say that i've been listening to on the pandora station that i've created mm-hmm. i think the station i've been listening to the most lately is the Illumineers station mm-hmm. um and i know that this is again something that i like that you don't like um, I like that a lot of their songs make me feel like I'm in a movie. Like, this is, like, the part of it. It's, like, so exciting, but, like, in a very relaxing way. I just feel like my life is just really happening. And it's, like, you're in that part of the movie when, like, things are just getting good. Like, yeah. I like that kind of vibe that a lot of their songs can give off. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm listening to now. Um, I do have a lot of guilty pleasures as far as music that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I, I enjoy a lot of very poppy type music, especially from the time that it came out when I was, you know, in high school and just hearing music and getting excited about it, you know. Not that I necessarily listen to it all the time, but when I hear it, I do really enjoy. And, and some of those songs I actually enjoy more over time. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Christina Aguilera. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of hers when she came out. I was never like, oh, Christina Aguilera, she's so great. It was just a one song that I heard over and over again. But now when I hear, like, Genie in a Bottle, I'm like, aw. Just because, it, you know, it takes me back to that time that the song was playing so much, and it's so catchy, and it's, like, all happening, you know. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of songs like that for me that just, I heard them so many times at certain times in my life that they'll always pull me back to very specific times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's obviously not a unique thing to me. I think that's most people feel that way about music. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I do feel that way about a lot of kind of guilty pleasure, you know, popish music that even at the time I probably wouldn't have admitted to being into. Like, I was totally into the Backstreet Boys. And even at the time, that was a guilty pleasure for me. Like, it wasn't something that I wasn't like in the friend group of people that publicly liked that. You know, mm-hmm. but that was definitely something that I listened to. They were more to. into NSYNC, right? <laughs> no. Actually, to date myself, I'm actually a little too old for NSYNC. Like, I think NSYNC was already, like, like my little sister was into NSYNC. Mm. I think, even though it seems like now thinking about it, I feel like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys weren't that far apart. Somehow to Backstreet me, definitely came first, Backstreet though. came at a time when I was more in that early teen kind of era. And by the time NSYNC came out... I was, like, already old enough to, like, not find those guys as attractive or something. Uh-huh. Um, right. But, no, I mean, I was more in friend groups or people were listening to cooler music that I actually like a lot, but that I've actually appreciated more over time, like, more, you know, Nirvana and, like, the White Stripes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was I was definitely secretly, secretly listening to the Backstreet Boys. You're like, it's gonna be me. Exactly. Or what was that insane? That might have been insane, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was. No, I was more the whole, like, you are my fire, oh, and you know, all those Backstreet's back. And... Yes. Of course. <laughs> and Britney Spears. Sure. Like, 
I mean, I love a good, you know, hit me baby one more time. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's a movie called Drive Me Crazy, which it was a tie in there was a music video for the movie that's like a it's like a tie in, the movie crosses over with the Britney Spears song, and the Britney Spears song plays in the movie, which it's obviously titled after. Right. Even though it actually stars um, Adrian Grenier and Melissa Joan Hart, so not Britney Spears, so it's kind of a strange, mm. strange connection. But anyway, yeah, I have totally guilty pleasure like things like that. Not in a way where I actually spend a lot of time listening to them. Mm. Like currently, because I'm currently at a point where I'm really more wanting to hear different music that I haven't heard before. I'm kind of I've grown, I've, I've listened to so, some things enough that they feel a little stale to me. Yeah. But. See, I finally got you to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> it took a little work. But was there anything else we didn't talk about that you wanted to dive back into? Um. Well, I, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. I don't know if you had any more questions for me about, like, blogs or just mm. what I've seen with, like, the rise and fall of, like, blogging and all that. Or um, subscription boxes or something else we could talk about a little bit. Uh, yeah, go ahead and talk about subscription boxes. Um, well, that's one of my, my, probably one of my most recent interests is subscription boxes. And it relates to this and what we're talking about because there are websites just about subscription boxes where people just review what they got in their subscription box. So it's kind of similar in a lot of ways to a haul video or a collection video in that it's just kind of about, you know, what came in the box. And I love stuff like that. Like, I watch both vlogs and blogs that I read about those kind of things. Um, basically, for anyone who doesn't know, subscription boxes are just a box you can subscribe to where, like, you pay and then it sends you stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, just, and, of course, there's different themes. The ones I like are mostly either makeup or lifestyle products. And to me, it's just very exciting. Do you have any questions for me about them? Or, um... Are these... And these are guilty pleasures for you, or...? Not really. I mean, I don't actually, currently, I am not getting any boxes. I think I'm going to resubscribe to maybe like a makeup subscription or something at some point. But I've had different subscriptions. Um, at one point, I think I had a makeup subscription for a few months, and that was really fun. I got to try out a bunch of products that I either wouldn't have bought or... I the, the appeal of the boxes is that they give you more than what you pay for. Mm -hmm. So... And I'm not a person that spends a lot of money on makeup, but I do like the opportunity to try things that I might be too afraid to, like, risk spending money on if I don't know if they're going to be good. So that's fun. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what I meant by guilt, how it ties into being a guilty pleasure would just be that I do... Even now, there are boxes that I'm not subscribed to, but I like to watch videos of people just talking about them. And that's kind of related to my, you know, haul videos, mm. guilty pleasure. Um, right. Well, like, what are some of the boxes that you're interested in? Um, well, the Pop Sugar box is a lifestyle box. Um, Pop Sugar Must Have is what it's called. And that box is sending <laughs> five lifestyle products. And they have a category that they hit for each product. So they usually have a snack, maybe something related to health and fitness, something that's more related to like personal care or glamour and things like that. Sometimes there will be a book. Sometimes there will be a home decor item like a pillow or a vase or something like that. Nail polish, um, a water bottle. Those are the types of things that they often do. Jewelry, there will be, like, you know, a necklace or a bracelet, sometimes a beach towel, a tote bag, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's a box called Fit Fab Fun that's also related um, to the Pop Sugar Must Have box. Just in that, I think it's the same sort of category, just mm-hmm. lifestyle stuff. And, and Fit Fab Fun, I believe, is actually. I want to say it's curated by or started by a pop star called, I want to say Julia Rancic, something like that. Mm. She's from a reality show that I never watched, like Bill and Julia. Mm. I think maybe she started out as a television anchor or something, and then she married some guy, and I don't know what he does. And then I know they had like a fertility, you know, they had some infertility troubles, and there was Mm. a whole TV show about them that I never watched, but I just, just from seeing like tabloids and stuff gathered that. But anyway, so that ties into the whole reality TV thing. But anyway, I think she curates that box. Mm -hmm. Um, Makeup boxes, as I mentioned, um, just send you different makeup. Usually it's samples or deluxe size samples, and Mm -hmm. just... It's exciting to try. Um, I don't yeah. know what other questions you have about subscription boxes. I know that you, at one point, only half-jokingly said that we should start a subscription box service where we just, like, buy crap from Goodwill and then, like, <laughs> mail it to people at, like, a markup. For sure. Yeah, it seems so simple to, like, make money on you. <laughs> yeah, well, I do think this is actually... I think that if you need a big overhead to start, <laughs> but after that, you would make so much money having a subscription box because... Really? I think you can get the companies that you're putting in your box to give you the products either for free or at a very, very steep discount because it's such good free advertising for them to be in your box. Right. Because, I mean, it's something that people signed up for and they are getting for something they requested. Exactly. So your cost as far as getting the items for the box is going to be pretty low, but you can still get items that people are going to feel like the value is really high. And that's why people keep subscribing, because they feel like they're getting so much for what they pay for. Like, a lot of the the lifestyle boxes I was telling you about will cost, like, 40 or $50, but they promise to give you at least $100 worth of items. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the appeal, is that people are so excited to see where the value is. But those boxes, I do think there's a lot of value if they send you things that you want. Mm-hmm. But I do always think they kind of fudge on the value a little bit, too, because... There's always one or two items that they, because they estimate the value, and there's always one or two items that are hard to put a value on. Mm-hmm. Like, jewelry is something that has a pretty varying value. I mean, unless it's a piece of fine jewelry with actual metal and stones, which could be appraised, most jewelry that comes in a subscription box is going to be just, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's gold or silver plated, and there's going to be, you know, tassels and, you know, fake stones and rhinestones or whatever. And jewelry like that. I mean, even at, you know, a store varies so much in price that it's kind mm-hmm. of subjective. So they can say this is a $75 necklace, but it's like, you know, maybe not. Like, maybe I, I not only would I probably not have paid $75 for this necklace, but also, you know, it's probably not really worth $75. Like, would a person see you wearing this necklace and think, ooh, a fairly nice necklace, you know, or would they just be like, oh, a weird dazzle, <laughs> you know, you Dazzled around your neck. So there's always things like that, or tote bags are another thing that they can say, this is a $37 tote bag. But really, it's just like a canvas bag. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think they always kind of overestimate the value of those boxes a little bit. But then again, they will put some things in there that's like a makeup palette that if you bought it would be $30. Mm-hmm. So then there, you've almost got the value of the box back. So, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Um,. I, but, I mean, part of it is that, like you said, it's like when you're an adult, you don't get that much exciting mail. Yes. So, it's like that. just the fact that you are being sent these things is probably somewhat of a... Well, I think that was my big motivation when I had my makeup subscription. It was one of the least expensive subscriptions that you can get. I think it was $10 a month. 
mm-hmm. and they send you, you know, just a few makeup and beauty products. And that was so fun because when you're a kid, you don't get very much mail usually, but when you do, it's a card or a letter or a gift. And then as you get older and go out on your own, those are fewer and further between. And especially for someone like me who doesn't do a lot of online shopping. So it's not like I'm getting stuff in the mail that I've bought very often. Mm. So pretty much most of my mail is just bills or like a statement from like the student loan people mm. or, or an advertisement for like, you know, new tires or like something about you try this dentist and you can get a free cleaning and not very exciting. So it is great to get just like a package in the mail. Mm-hmm. And usually they're seasonal too. So the items that a subscription box sends you usually has a theme that's related to the season. So it's like really great stuff that you'll love having this summer, you know, mm-hmm. and that does make it so much more exciting, you know, as an adult who's like hoping to get like, there, there's not that many surprises. And I'm, I'm a person that doesn't like surprises unless they're guaranteed to be good. So a subscription box, it's like probably a surprise you're going to like. Right. It's not like a terrible surprise mm-hmm. usually. Well, I just mean in general, I know some people love to be surprised. I would generally take knowing that I'm getting the exact thing I want over the thrill of a surprise. But they don't tell you what you're going to get in these boxes until they've... They don't, but they're usually spoilers that get released, and you can either try to avoid those or seek them out. Mm. Like the websites I was talking about that talk about the boxes, a lot of those websites have a relationship with whoever sends out the boxes, so they get the boxes slightly before everyone else. Mm-hmm. So then you could go there and see what you're going to get. That makes sense. That's good that they give you the option of finding out or not, because I'm sure mm-hmm. some people would be... Want, you know, it could work both ways, I feel like, so... Depending on what kind of person you are, so... Well, is there anything else I didn't ask you about this? Not that I can, not that I can think of. I mean, I mean, you did a good job of. Yeah, I mean, I think them. I've just kind of described them, and I think I think they are a thing that's becoming more popular now, and they are something that I think fits in with what what we were talking about as far as something that I'm interested in that like maybe not that many other people that I know are interested in. So I would go to like online or something to like you know kind of more celebrate those interests. Yeah. Although my sister's gotten really interested in subscription boxes too, so that's fun to like talk to her about that. She had a subscription going to Birchbox for a little while, um, right. so we would talk about like the different makeup products that she was getting. No, I mean, I guess I'm just thinking back, and I guess I've talked a lot about things that I'm interested in that I don't have people in my life to talk about with, and I don't mean that as like a slam against the people in my life. <laughs> I don't want to come off that way. I just mean that I think naturally everyone has this to a certain extent things that they're interested in that are just outside of the interests of most of the people around them. True. And these are things that give you a way in where you can talk about people who have the same level of passion, so that's good. Exactly. Whereas before the internet, everyone's just kind of like an island by themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Either that or maybe people tried harder to, like, actually join clubs where they met people in person to, like... That's true. (laughs) in real life, so I mean, maybe that's, you know... Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's better or worse, maybe, but I don't know. Um, That's true. But I would also, though, like to note that I'm not just complaining and saying, oh, no one in my life is interested in these things, I have to, like, find other ways to, like, explore these interests, because in some ways... I enjoy having a few interests that are outside of 
the actual people in my life. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it is nice. I mean, I know some people like to sort of integrate and in everyone that they're close to is involved in everything. But for me, I like having a few passions that I can just kind of explore in a fairly solitary way that are just outside of the realm of what I'm normally doing. Because even though we've obviously spent this whole episode talking about these things, most of the time I'm actually thinking about and doing the things that I do, you know, that are more part of my actual life and things that the people I actually know are interested in. So it's nice to, since I'm a very solitary person, I enjoy having a few interests that I can do by myself and not feel like I'm leaving people out either. Because it's like, it's like, for example, when we have a TV show that we both like, it's really enjoyable because we can watch it together and talk about it. But at the same time, then we do have to wait for each other to have time to watch it. Mm -hmm. So I think we both have a few things that we like that the other person doesn't like. And I think we both enjoy that because sometimes we have solitary time where we want to just kind of do something for ourselves and not have to like wait for the other person. And I feel that way about some of these other interests we've mentioned. Like I like having things that are just kind of me doing them by myself Mm -hmm. or with strangers on the internet. Well, I think as long as there's things that you have with, especially your your partner, where it's like you can both enjoy them together, that I do think it's healthy for you to be able to go off and do certain things by yourself, too. Like, yes, you're supposed to be partners in crime for the most part, but it's like, I think there still needs to be a space for you to go be, uh, for lack of a gender, uh, non-gender term, like guys be guys and girls be girls or whatever, kind sure. of like... You know, the men can stand around a fire and grunt, and the women can go off somewhere else and do what they're going to do. You know, like, like not to, like, overly stereotype or whatever, but, you know, that's... Exactly, yeah, that's... I totally, I totally think that. And also just, I think, as an introvert, like, I do really enjoy spending time by myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I do like having certain interests that I can look forward to embracing when I'm having my alone time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I just was imagining you pounding a sign into the door that says a long time. No, but you know what I mean. I think Not that disturbed. I do think that that's something that extroverts don't necessarily understand about introverts, which is that real introverts is not about necessarily being shy. It's as that it is that we truly do enjoy spending a certain amount of time by ourselves. <laughs> And so I do look forward to certain activities that just as much as there are certain things that I love doing with other people. And so I look forward to when I can be with those people, do those things and enjoy those things. I also have things that I enjoy just looking forward to doing by myself too. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think some people probably fully understand that because I know that a lot of people are introverts and do understand that. I think some people just probably think that that sounds horrible. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) Well, our son is starting to melt down, so we should probably attend to him. Yes, I think so. But um, it's been good talking to you. I hope you've gotten gotten what you wanted out of me from this conversation. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the Rob Burgess Show. You're welcome back anytime. You know where to find me. I, I do know where to find you. <laughs> All right.